Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. one and all welcome into the zoo need to kill studios for mlb overtime betting it is greg peters coming at you once again and the zoo need to kill studios are newly refreshed as i have moved into a new apartment so if you're noticing that the acoustics are a little bit different that could be why i'll be dialing things in in the next couple days so if things are a little bit wonky i do apologize but what i don't apologize for is having a great guest on the podcast today sean harnish professional handicapper of many years, does a little bit of everything, and is terrific on the baseball front. He's going to be joining me in the second segment to break down some of these games for Thursday and talk about how he handicaps September baseball. In the final segment, I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board, and I do so on something I like to call touch them all. First things first, this is a part of the podcast in which I do like to answer questions. You can always tweet those to me at junior one Today I got the same questions that I typically have answered and have answered on the podcast, like where do I get my stats from, the websites like that, and things of that ilk. For that, I always just direct you guys back to my past episodes and everything like that. I don't want to rehash the same questions every single week. So do not get anything new in. But as always, if you have something that you want answered on the podcast I have not answered, feel free to tweet that into the timeline at GNRSquarty1. Avoid the DMs. 
Trust me, if you DM me something, you're probably not going to hear back on it. That is just a Stone Cold Lead Pipe Block of the Century. Without further ado, let's take a look back at yesterday's results, try to find some trends, and try to become better handicappers from it. So who's streaking and who is slumping? It is time for Rakers and Fakers. The New York Mets were able to get up off the mat, and they were able to get a win over the Washington Nationals by a count of 8-4. to four. They had a six-run lead in this one, much like they did the previous day, and this time they did not blow it, though. Jurisic Familia tried to. He gave up three runs while recording two outside the bullpen, as those would be the only three runs that the bullpen would give up in a grand total of four innings and Zach Wheeler was dealing in this one. He winds up giving up one run in five innings and a little run support always helps and he certainly got that especially from one Pete Alonzo as the Mets were able to get three home runs off of Anibal Sanchez and it did not go well for Anibal Sanchez as he wound up giving up seven runs all of which were earned over the course of five innings including three home runs one of which was by Pete Alonzo his 45th home run of the year then you have Juan Lagarde scoring deep for his third and Robinson Cano is 11th as for the Nationals their bullpen actually was not bad in this one they give up one run over the course of four innings and they just weren't able to really drive them in as they wind up leaving 12 men on base so needless to say the Washington Nationals after a big win had a little bit of a letdown on Wednesday a team that did not have a letdown was the New York Yankees as they get another win at home by a count of four to one by the way the Yankees are playing about 45 percent of their home games the over more like 65 percent on the road so that's interesting as Edwin Encarnacion newly refreshed in the lineup did not go yard in this one but two men that did Aaron Judge and Gleyber Torres for Torres is 34th and Aaron Judge is 20th those both came off Lance Lynn a guy that's giving up Pleasant home run for nine innings, as in this one he gave up both those home runs, three total earned runs in five innings, and the bullpen from there for the Rangers wasn't bad, giving up one run in three innings, but for the Texas Rangers, not a whole lot doing their lone hit in this one that generated a run was a Brunette Odor solo home run in the ninth inning. That was his 22nd of the year as the Yankees went with a wholesale approach with Chad Green as the opener and I believe they're now 13-2 and whenever they use an opener so the Yankees doing a very good job on that front and aside from the Dodgers, the Yankees have the best home record out there in the big leagues at 53-22 and so they certainly have been getting the job done whenever they've been at home and a team that is getting the job done whenever they are on the road is the Minnesota Twins as they entered into this one winning right around 65% of their road games for the year, but the Boston Red Sox wind up besting them by a count of 62. The Red Sox, by the way, now 11 games above 500 on the road. Meanwhile, at home, they are exactly 500, but Eduardo Rodriguez continues to be terrific for this team, and he has now won 17 games as he goes seven innings, not giving up a single earned run. Over 70% of his starts have went over, but it helps that the Boston Red Sox, ever since the month of August, have had the second-best bullpen ERA in the big leagues. In this one, they give up two runs and two innings, but all in all, a good performance. And another guy that had a great performance, how about Mookie Betts going deep for his 24th and 25th home runs of the year in the first and second inning out of one, off of one, Jose Barrios, who did not have the start that he would like, gave up both those home runs of Betts. Five innings pitch, he gives up six runs, all of which weren't. Got to give it to the Twins' bullpen, though. Three innings of scoreless baseball, and for the Twins, their lone form of offense came in the eighth inning, and Eddie Rosario home run is 28th of the year as the Minnesota Twins wind up leaving 10 men on base. They are starting to play some unders. The San Francisco Giants have some very distinct home and road splits as well. This is a team with a record three games above 500 on the road, and they actually are right around 500 as an underdog. Meanwhile, at home, they're eight games below 500, and they're scoring 5.3 runs per game on the road, 3.3 at home as they get a 9-8 win over the St. Louis Cardinals. And Madison Bumgarner wasn't even really good in this one. For Madison Bumgarner, he goes five innings, giving up six runs, all of which were earned, as it was actually Tyler Rogers that got the win, and in the process, Bumgarner did give up a home run going deep for the St. Louis Cardinals. Paul DeYoung's 25th home run of the year, but it was a whole lot more 
more length than what the St. Louis Cardinals got out of Michael Waka. As Waka only goes two innings in this one. He was pretty much an opener. He didn't give up a single run in those two innings. And then from there, a St. Louis Cardinals bullpen, which has been tops in the big leagues with regards to ERA ever since the All-Star break. Well, they give up nine runs, six of which were earned over the course of seven innings as it was just a bevy of guys giving them up as a trio of home runs were hit by the San Francisco Giants as going deep in this one. Brandon Crawford is 11th of the year. Kevin Pillar is 21st and Mikey Stromsky is 19th. Very big win there for the San Francisco Giants and for the St. Louis Cardinals. This is a team that has been spoldering hot recently. They have won 19 out of their last 25 games and they've been the best home team to the under so far this year. 63% of their home games have gone under but clearly that was not the case on Wednesday and the Detroit Tigers were a more than $2 underdog against the Kansas City Royals despite the fact that the Royals were nearly 30 games below 500 going into this game and wouldn't you know it, the Kansas City Royals get the win by a count of 5-4 to four for Edwin Jackson. Another not-so-good start. Five innings pitch. He gives up four runs, all of which weren't. Got to say this for the Tigers, though. The bullpen has been performing admirably. They give up one run over the course of three innings. For the Tigers, they have not been generating much power, but they were able to hit three of five with men in scoring position. And for the Kansas City Royals, Jacob Junis picks up another win. He's not necessarily a guy that's giving you the best of starts, but he's giving you length. Seven innings pitch. He gives up four runs, all of which weren't. Bullpen from there is able to do their job in two innings for the Kansas City Royals. Jorge Soler now has 40 home runs for the Detroit Tigers. This is a team that has scored four runs or fewer in now 27 out of their last 38 games. So things not necessarily going well there. Things are going very well for the Arizona Diamondbacks. So as they have now won nine out of their last 10 games as they get a 4-1 to win over the San Diego Padres. For the Padres, Chris Paddock was great in this one. Five and a third innings. Doesn't give up a single earned run. The bullpen, which has a better fielding independent than an ERA, so you got to think that regression is going to be coming their way to the positive. Well, it did not in this one. They get a grand total of eight outs, and they give up four runs, all of which were earned, including a home run going deep for the years in the Diamondbacks. Cattell Marte is 30th of the year, and that was of the Grand Slam variety, and that was the difference of this one, as Will Myers was able to scratch across a home run in the ninth for the San Diego Padres, his 16th of the year, but for the Diamondbacks, Zach Allen was absolutely terrific. Seven innings of one-hit baseball, did not give up a single earned run. T.J. McFarlane winds up giving up that solo home run, but all in all, very good showing from the years in the Diamondbacks and the Diamondbacks have been playing quite a few unders themselves recently as three out of their last four have won under a team that's not been playing a whole lot of unders recently though. How about the LA Dodgers as they're able to get a 7-3 win over the Colorado Rockies. The Rockies have now lost 21 out of their last 25 road games and for the Dodgers they got a better start in this one out of Hunjin Ryu. He had been struggling recently. He only goes four and a third innings giving up three runs all of which were earned but he was backed up by a bullpen that was absolute nails for them. Four and two thirds innings, not giving up a single earned run. You still have your questions with Ryu, but at the very least, he didn't give up five plus. And for the Dodgers, they backed him up with some good offense, and it was really Jock Peterson that led the way. His 31st and 32nd home runs of the year. One of them came off of Antonio Senzatello, who was not long for this game. He gives up five runs over the course of three innings. Now it's an ERA of a 7-1-9. The fact that he has eight wins on the year is quite pathetic. And a Colorado Rockies bullpen that actually ranks dead last in the big leagues with regards to ERA ever since the all-star break. Not bad in this one. Five innings, but they give up two runs, so they were at the very least able to do something, but not a whole lot of power for this team either. 
But what is powerful is the Dodgers' home record as that win pushes them to 55 at 18 at home. Needless to say, that's pretty terrific. The Cincinnati Reds are a team that's better at home than they are on the road. Not quite to that dominance, but they are able to get an 8-5 win over the Philadelphia Phillies as Trevor Bauer continues to not be good for this team. He has an ERA hovering right around an 8 ever since he's been acquired by the Reds. And this one was a little bit better than his past starts, but it's still not great. Five innings pitch, he gives up four runs over to earn, including two home runs. Bullpen from there, which has been awful for the Reds. In the bottom eight in the big leagues with regards to ERA ever since the All-Star break, not bad. They give up a solo home run over the course of four innings as for the Philadelphia Phillies. Their trio of home runs came from Jay Bruce, his 11th as a Philadelphia Philly, and I believe for the year that is now 30, so he's been pretty terrific. Logan Morrison, his second, and JT Riamuto, his 21st. But Aaron Nola, well, he got super Nola and busted in this one. He goes four innings, giving up five runs off, which earn, including a home run. Then the bullpen from there winds up giving up three runs over the course of four innings, including two home runs. Going deep for the Cincinnati Reds, Joey Votto, his 14th of the year. Jose Iglesias, his 10th, and Michael Lorenzen, his first. The pitcher was able to get in on the act as for the Philadelphia Phillies. They have been doing a better job of being able to plate runs, and bullpen's been pretty decent for them, but clearly on this night, it certainly did not do the job. And the bullpen of the Miami Marlins, well, they did not do the job either, as the Pittsburgh Pirates played three runs runs in the ninth inning to get a 6-5 win over the Miami Marlins, and you have to question why in the world the Marlins had Jose Urania trying to close out this game. He is now the closer of this team, and he winds up giving up all three of those runs in the ninth inning. I have no idea what they're doing, and he did give up a home run being able to supply that power for the Pittsburgh Pirates was Elias Diaz, his second home run of the year. It's for the Pittsburgh Pirates. They were able to get a pretty good start out of Trevor Williams. Six innings pitch. He gives up three runs, but only two votes were earned. Bullpen from there winds up still being a bit shaky for the Pittsburgh Pirates. They give up two runs over the course of three innings of Marlins and the Pirates, both in the bottom 10 with regards to bullpen ERA. And it hurts because Robert Duggar, a guy who was awful at the AAA level, ERA right around a 7-5. He winds up giving up just two earned runs, three total over the course of six innings, so he did his job. And then the bullpen arms of Adam Conley and Ryan Stanek were able to do a decent job from there. And then for the Miami Marlins, two home runs for the team as well. Sterling Castro is 17th of the year and Garrett Cooper is 14th. Obviously, that was a little bit overwhelming. And what else was very overwhelming, the Cleveland Indians and Chicago White Sox game as the Cleveland Indians showed a little bit of shakiness in the bullpen, giving up four runs between the 8th and ninth inning, but they were able to pull out an 8-6 to win. Shane Bieber, it seems like it's the MO of this guy recently, giving up two runs a start. He did so in all but one of his August and September starts so far. As in this one, seven innings pitch, gives up two runs, both of which were earned. Then the bullpen, Gives up four runs in two innings. This is an Indian team with the best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues, but it's been shaky. But what's not been shaky is the power of Femi Reyes. He gets his seventh home run as a Cleveland Indian, his 34th of the year. As for the White Sox, Ivan Nova, who entered into this night, one of the top five most profitable pitchers out there in the big leagues. If you bet $100 on every one of his starts, you're up over $900, but gives up six runs in four and a third innings, including that home run to Reyes. But I will say the White Sox bullpen continues to be good. Three and two thirds innings. They give up two runs in the process. And for the White Sox, they were able to claw their way back into this one with a pair of home runs in the 8th and ninth inning. Jose Abreu's 29th home run of the year, and Tim Anderson is 15th. This is for a White Sox team that's in the bottom five in the big leagues in regards to runs per game ever since the All-Star break, so they seem to be turning things around there. And then the day concluded with the LA Angels getting blanked by the Oakland A's by a count of 4-0. 
For the A's, Tanner Rorick was on the A's team. Six and two-thirds innings. He did give up five hits, no earned runs. Bullpen from there, which has been a little bit shaky recently for the A's. They get the final seven outs. And for the A's, they were able to get all their runs off of three home runs for their four total runs. Jackson Profryer is 19th of the year. Marcus Simeon is 26th. And then newly sent up catcher Sean Murphy being able to get his first career home run. So good for him. As for the Angels, Patrick Sandoval was sort of a pseudo-opener. And then Trevor Kale, I guess you could call him the bulk guy, is Sandoval. Three and a third innings. He gives up one run, one of those home runs. Then you had Trevor Kale wind up giving three scoreless innings to be able to end the game, but Jake Jewell in the middle, he was not good. He gave up three runs while recording just five outs. And for the Angels, just something doing on offense for this team. They wind up leaving eight men on base and just generating five total hits. What did we all learn from Major League Baseball on this lovely Wednesday? The New York Mets are continuing to get some decent bullpen pitching from guys not named Jurisic Familia, despite the fact that they had that one blow up. And Anibal Sanchez seems to be coming back to earth for the Washington Nationals. The New York Yankees are highly profitable whenever they have an opener going, and they seem to be an under team at home. The Cincinnati Reds still are not getting good starts out of Trevor Bauer, but this team that is playing about 60% of their games to the under, they're starting to get a little bit more offense. The Pittsburgh Pirates, who have been playing right around 66% of their home games to the over, continue to be overwhelming at home. Meanwhile, the Miami Marlins bullpen still stinks. The Chicago White Sox seem to be on track with their offense. Meanwhile, Shane Bieber continues to deliver good starts. The Boston Red Sox and Minnesota Twins are continuing to play unders thanks to their improved bullpen, the San Francisco Giants, a different team on the road than they are at home with regards to their offense and a very profitable road and underdog team as well. The Detroit Tigers, no matter how big of a favorite or an underdog they are, they just continue to lose. Meanwhile, Jacob Junis continues to eat innings for the Kansas City Royals, but the Detroit Tigers bullpen does look a little bit improved. Zach Allen continuing to give terrific starts for the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Diamondbacks right now the hottest team out there in the big leagues. The Dodgers and the New York Yankees continue to be very dominant at home, and Tanner Roark just continues to be very, very good ever since being traded for by the Oakland A's. So that is what we all learned from Major League Baseball on Wednesday. Now let's turn the page forward to Thursday. Let's preview these games, and let's talk a little bit about just general September baseball betting in general with our man, John Harnish, and that is coming up next right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. And we are back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peters coming at you from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas, by the way. The new Azunia Tequila Studios, as I just recently made a move. And a man that has been on this podcast quite a few times, whether I'm back at my old apartment, my new apartment, or if I'm just somewhere random is Sean Harnish. The reason why he's on this podcast is because he is a terrific handicapper, does a great job of being able to help out new people that are just starting to get into betting, and this man does a little bit of everything. He does some basketball, he does some football, and we have him on to talk some baseball because he is very sharp with his analytics, and you can follow him on Twitter at Guppy Money. And Sean, how are you doing today? I am doing excellent. September's here, my favorite month to bet. Football right here. You got crisp, cool weather up here in the Northeast. Baseball ready to go. Important games. It's fun. Fun time of year. Oh, absolutely. And with September baseball, I do feel like it's a little bit different than other times of the year. Can you tell people how your approach to betting on baseball in September changes from, say, the dog days of like June and July and all that? Yeah, like, you know, dog days, June and July, you'll get teams that get hot, get cold, but eventually they'll flip the switch and, and turn it on or at least play 500. Now in September, you see a team 
And we'll use Colorado, for example. They fought all year. We're sort of in it, not in it. But now the writing's on the wall, and we see him just completely fading. There's a real good chance that that lasts throughout the season, and it's not like all of a sudden they're going to kick it in the gear the last two weeks. It's just sort of if a team's playing bad, expect it for the rest of the year. If they're playing well, chances are they're they're going into it. But once those teams that are, you know, four and a half, five and a half games out, say like the Red Sox, once they're sort of out of it, look to fade those type of teams just because it's a grind. It's a long season. And when you know you're out of it, you sort of exhale and things just don't matter as much, especially when you're playing teams that are in contention. I think that's a very good point that you bring up. And we've got a very interesting matchup going down Involving that on Thursday with the San Francisco Giants taking on the St. Louis Cardinals. You've got Dakota Hudson on the bump for the St. Louis Cardinals. Logan Webb going for the Giants. Obviously, Logan Webb is going to want to go out there and show his best. He's a good up-and-coming prospect with the St. Louis Cardinals. Whatever Dakota Hudson's on the mound, they've been magnificent. I believe 15-3 and three in their last 18. And we're noticing the Cardinals as about a minus 175 to minus 180 favorite. Total on this game is 8.5. Where do you look on this one just because... The analytics don't necessarily back up the actual numbers that we've seen with regards to ERA and everything like that for to go to Hudson, but all in all for the year, he's been highly profitable. Yeah, you said it. And just the St. Louis Cardinals in general, I wrote them off in June. It seemed like they couldn't get anything going. They're a team that I can't remember up until most recently where they really got going and you said, here it is, here's the offense. Even when Goldschmidt finally got around. And if you remember, it took him like two and a half months, three months to get going. It seemed like he was the only one doing anything. Carpenter struggling with the injuries and whatnot. But as soon as the pitching started becoming consistent and Waka started pitching about, well, Wainwright a little better. And like you said, Dakota Hudson at the top there, it seems like they go out and win a lot of his games. You started to see a little more consistency at the plate too. And you know, they still really haven't gone on that really hot heater like we've seen a lot of these other teams do. And if they get hot down the stretch here, I could definitely see them holding on and winning the Central in a division that, you know, doesn't really apply to this game. But if you look at the best under teams in baseball, it is loaded with the NL Centrals. St. Louis right at the top of that. And I'm going to look towards the under in this game just because you still don't see that overpowering offense from St. Louis. And I think San Francisco's bullpen is still strong enough. I'll be looking to the under in this game. I think that's a very good point as we do have Sean Harnish joining me right here on the podcast. It is one of those situations where with the St. Louis Cardinals, it just seems like they've been doing a lot of winning three out of four, four out of five. They haven't necessarily gone on a streak where it's like, oh, they just won 12 in a row and everything like that, but they've just been a really steady Eddie team, and I feel like we could say the same about the Cleveland Indians. They're going to be playing also the Chicago White Sox. Ronaldo Lopez is going for the White Sox. There was a stretch where he actually looked pretty good, but Ronaldo Lopez been getting banged around recently. Meanwhile, Zach Plesak looks like a little bit of regression is setting him from as well, but we're seeing the Indians as a $2 favorite total on this game of 9.5. Right now, I do think that the Indians should be able to pull this one out, but I'm actually intrigued by the total of 9.5, with Plesak coming back to earth, his peripheral numbers and fielding independent, showing that he's probably not as good as he's pitched so far this year with regards to his ERA and Ronaldo Lopez just being brutal in his last couple starts. I think that this is a good spot for an over. 
Yeah, and you know we've seen it. You you can argue that Tim Anderson could be one of the most important pieces in any lineup in baseball. We saw this team really struggle when he was on the DL for what six weeks offensively, and as soon as he was inserted back into there, he just makes things happen. We see Abreu get his. I think he up over a hundred RBIs this year, and Tim Anderson scored a lot of those runs. He's sort of the engine, the catalyst if you will, to this lineup. And they're a pesky team. They're a team that, yes, they are out of it. They've been out of it for a while, but a team that I don't want to play when I have to win games down the stretch here. They're pesky. Like you said, the pitching's a little better. The bullpen seems to stick together and be serviceable compared to a lot of the other ones around the league. And please act like you said, we know that wasn't going to continue. The regression's going to come. And is this, I believe, the second time the White Sox have seen him? I know. I think they've seen him before. And I like where you're going with that, with the over. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if you're paying attention and you're quick to the trigger. You might be able to catch a nine. I know a lot of these totals for Cleveland are sort of bouncing down with Ramirez out of the lineup now looking indefinitely. And on top of that, I don't see Cleveland making the run because of that. We already know the bottom half of their lineup has historically the last few years have been just putrid. Outfield production has been awful. And then they get rid of Brantley. We see what he's doing in Houston and it just got worse. Yes, they have some young kids in there, but without Ramirez now, it's going to be tough for them to win consistently and hit offensively. And that bullpen and starting pitching can only do so much. I like where you're going with that over. I'm going to look for a nine, even if I have to pay 130 for it, though, just to be on the safe side. Absolutely. We do have John Harness joining me right here on the podcast. And I do think that it is so interesting that you bring up with the White Sox, them being a pesky team. you got some teams that they are not giving you an honest effort, and they are out of the postseason mm. race. And then you've got other teams like the Chicago White Sox that they are still competing. They are still clawing their way. I would even say the Toronto Blue Jays are in that mix. The Toronto Blue Jays just have nobody with a good batting average whatsoever. I believe that pretty much every time they take the field, they've got two guys that are hitting above a 240 so far this year, but they are getting good bullpen pitching. They do have a lot of power, and I do look at some of these teams that they are giving you an honest effort, and when they are a $2 underdog, like the Toronto Blue Jays are going to be against the Tampa Bay Rays, this is possibly a good spot to be able to take a price like this and try to be able to cash a big ticket. I totally agree. You know, you look at Toronto, like you said, that bullpen will keep you in the game. Yes, the batting average isn't there, but... These young kids seem to be coming up with some clutch hitting. We'll see if they can parlay it next year when the book's out on them. But the future's bright there offensively for them. Justin Smoke was a big head scratch for me this year. What a down year for him and somewhere where he could have really padded his stats going into a contract year. I'd be surprised if they pick him up. I could see him turn into someone like Mitch Moreland where, you know, he plays 75% of the time for a contender somewhere for a short-term deal, perhaps with the Red Sox even. I don't know, but he'll get paid somewhat, but very disappointing with him this year. I thought he could have had a big year, but overall, yeah, it's tough to take bad teams against competing teams, but Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay's pitching has to be stressed out now. There's no way, and now still playing meaningful games where you really have to put people in high-stress situations and over-pitch them. I just think that they've pitched too many innings. And yes, it worked for Kansas City four or five years ago, but we saw what the repercussions were the following season where they didn't sign everybody and everybody that seemed to pitch out of that bullpen was hurt for the next two years. That's my concern with their their way that Tampa Bay is doing things out there. So yes, it's plus 200 with a team that's very familiar with that pitching staff. I like where you're going with it. I think that it is really interesting to take a look at some of these lines because we are noticing just some very harebrained ones out there, but 
Looking at a little bit of a tighter line, it's involving two teams that, well, this game is not going to get a lot of viewership, to say the least. The Detroit Tigers on the road to face off against Kansas City Royals. I don't think that there will be droves and droves of casual fans huddling around the TV at 10.15 a.m. Pacific time to watch Matthew Boyd go against Glenn Sparkman, but what do you make out of this one? Because Glenn Sparkman, vastly different home to road. On the road, his ERA is near 9. He's been getting a little bit more touched up at home, but his ERA, more in the neighborhood of a 4. He's respectable. Meanwhile, Matthew Boyd, everyone calls him the best pitcher for the Detroit Tigers, and I do agree with regards to his stuff, but... Take a look ever since the beginning of the month of June. ERA is hovering right around at six. He's giving up nearly three home runs per nine innings, but he's also not facing the Kansas City Royals, who the bottom of the batting order is just absolutely awful. Awful, awful. And, you know, Mondesi going down really hurt the bottom of that lineup most of the year. And this was an exciting team. This was the team that just got on the base paths and ran. And as a pitcher, and this is 2019, and maybe some people don't really notice it anymore, but teams don't run anymore. Stowing bases, attempts, everything, way down, which is a huge advantage for the pitcher if you're on the mound and you're not having to worry about it, right? We know John Lester, and he never wants to throw over to first base. Cincinnati Reds always were pesky to him. Billy Hamilton, why? Because he got on first, he made him think, and uh, he had trouble with them. And Kansas City is doing sort of the same thing there, where pitchers don't want to throw, but they're making them think. And they take advantage, but, you know, losing him at the bottom and then sort of protecting Merrifield, not giving him the green light on the base paths anymore to go on his own, you know, sort of protecting the future, which in part sort of hurts their main, uh, their biggest advantage, right? So on the flip side, Detroit, thinking that after getting rid of one of the worst managers in the history of baseball, they bring in an old relic that did a great job turning a franchise around before bringing them a championship, but it's a new age. You have to be a player's manager and you have to be young and being able to have them, you know, understand you. And I just, I I don't think he's the right fit there. I think Boyd is disengaged. If you watch him pitch, the peripherals are there, but you know, he's throwing 0-2 breaking balls after blowing a, a fastball by somebody. And, of course, you know, just bad decisions on the mound. And I've lo- looked to fade him all month of July. I'll look to do it again, but it's hard sometimes. Yes, you're not laying minus 270 with him all the time, you know, against him all the time. But it's still tough. And this one is a tough one. It's probably a stay away for me just because it's just so many unknowns. There certainly are a whole bunch of unknowns as we've got Sean Hardish, a man that it is very known that he is a very good handicapper joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And Sean, there is another game that I am scratching my head about a little bit as well, 971-972 on the rotation. Nathan Evaldi is going to be going for the Boston Red, to- Red Sox, Martin Perez for the Minnesota Twins. Right now we're seeing a total on this game of 12 the way that the Boston Red Sox have been using Nathan Eovaldi recently is sort of a pseudo-opener. He hasn't really gone past three innings in any of his starts. Meanwhile, Martin Perez, he had a couple good starts until he got absolutely exploded upon in his last start against the Detroit Tigers. This is one in which I do have to take a look at the under four. I think that these totals at Fenway are getting a little bit too high. I don't know what your thoughts are, but I think that this there's certainly going to be some runs in this one. I just think that 12 is too big of a number. 12 was just too big Tuesday night, right? So uh, exactly. sorry, get yeah. to 11 after 5, right? It, both bullpens seem to shut it down. We look at the Red Sox this year, and you mentioned the opener. Not this year, but the last 30 days. The bullpen has actually pitched more innings than their starting pitching. And when you look at the list of starters, and Sale was included in those last 30 days, you'd scratch your head and say, what the heck? Of all the yes going to the starter, this has been a lost season for him. 
He made it known before the season started he wanted nothing to do with the bullpen. They ignored those thoughts. The whole pitching staff as a whole said, hey, we want to pitch in spring training. They ignored all those thoughts. And now they sit five and a half games out, needing to catch two teams. It's just not there. Betts not having a good year. Yes, if you look at the numbers, Devers, absolute beast, probably underrated, very top five MVP candidate. Same thing with Bogarts. Devers is on pace to be have the fifth most runs in a season for someone under 22. And if you look at that list, it's all Hall of Famers. So bright future for him. As far as this game goes, 12 is a little high there uh, up at Fenway. You would think Evaldi can give you a few good innings. I forget who came in Tuesday, but looked real good for Minnesota. You would think he would be available in long relief if necessary again Friday. Yes, the power is there, but the bullpen doesn't walk a lot of guys. You're not going to get a lot of two or three home run games. If you like the over, maybe you want to go first five because it just seems to me that these teams are really struggling versus each other's bullpen. I like the under 12 myself. I'll stay away just because I think my record's five and seventy-two with the Red Sox <laughs> this year. I can't buy. I can't buy a win betting against them or with them. The Red Sox have been a very unpredictable team, and I will say this for the Red Sox: in the month of August, they had the second best bullpen ERA out there in the big league. So they certainly have been doing a good job of being able to hold down the fort, despite the fact that they've been putting in a whole lot of innings. And Sean, is there anything else in particular you're looking at? on Thursday because we've got quite a few games out there. The Nationals versus the Atlanta Braves is intriguing. Phillies versus Reds are still going to be going at it. You've got quite a few games on the card. Anything else really standing out for you? I think you hit it. The Atlanta series is going to be interesting. If things could get tight in that race, Philadelphia really needs some wins there, especially for the win total. I'm going to look to go with Philadelphia tomorrow in the first five once again. They just seem to have the number there. I need to look a little more at that Atlanta game. I'm leaning towards Atlanta, but I need to look at it a little more. But we touched on a few that I really had circled ahead of time. And we don't go over our notes before these interviews, so it's always nice that we're on the same wavelength. And we both agree that helping out handicappers is always a good way to go, and we both really dedicate a lot of time to it. Sean, I'd like to close it up with this. I know you're doing a great job of that and so much more. Let the good people know out there where they can follow you on social media, where they can get more of your work, and where they could just find a little bit more of your great insight in general. Thanks. So on Twitter, yep, at Guppy Money, just the way it sounds, G-U-P-P-Y-M-O-N-E-Y. I'm bouncing around from a couple different podcasts here and there between you and a few others. I always retweet those. And info, you can ask me anything, college level, college basketball, baseball, anything like that. I try to take away my time away from the NFL just because the lines are so tight. But when it comes to college, any sport or MLB, ask me any questions. I try to find any good trends or stats from all different people, from all different magazines or wherever it may be. Share as much as I can. Knowledge is power. And I tell everybody, instead of just reading things and thinking that it's a good number and betting the game on that number, make sure you take some notes. If you think something's worthy of a bet, it's worthy of putting in some sort of historical notebook for you. You need to build a database because 10 years from now, you're going to wish you did. And so, yes, you can look at other people's databases, but if you build your own, you can really have a lot of success. I totally agree with you. And, Sean, you're doing tremendous work. So big thanks to Sean Harnish for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Now it is that time coming up next. I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board. We do so in something I like to call Touch Em All. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. 
And we are back here in the Zunitico studios for MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to our man, Sean Harnish, professional handicapper, for joining me in the last segment. As it is that time now of the podcast in which I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board. And we do so in a little something I like to call Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it. So it is time to touch them all. Note that any changes are made to these plays it's going to be listed up on my Twitter feed at underscore D1. With some of these plays, they're all locked in, good to go, bet on, everything like that. With some of these plays, they're in wait and see mode. We're waiting on line changes, lineup moves. A couple of these games are off the board because of pitching changes, all that good stuff. I'm going to be keeping you guys abreast of what's all locked in and what's pending as we go through this podcast. And as always, any changes that are made to these plays and all the numbers I lock in going to be listed up on my Twitter feed at JuniorSquirty1. And as per usual, going in Las Vegas rotation order, it starts with 951-952 on the bang rotation. The Philadelphia Phillies hit the road to face off against the Cincinnati Reds. Sonny Gray goes for the Reds. Jason Vargas for the Phillies. This game has a total of 9 with the under anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120 over as just anywhere between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Cincinnati Reds, going to be laying it here. That's anywhere between minus 160 and minus 165. Meanwhile, your plus price here is anywhere between plus 147 and plus 152 if you do want to plop it down on the Philadelphia Phillies. And Jason Vargas has actually been delivering a lot of decent starts. It's one of those things where he hasn't been great, but he hasn't been awful since getting acquired by the Philadelphia he feels and that's really just been his MO for quite a while. You take a look at him for the year across his time with the Philadelphia Phillies and the New York Mets. This is a guy that's given up right around 1.3-ish home runs per nine innings, six and seven record, ERA hovering right around a 4-3-1. And then in his time with the Philadelphia Phillies, it's not like it's been a drop-off, but it's not like he's really ascended either. He's got an 0-2 record, but he's got a 5-1-80 ERA. Opponents are hitting 293 off of him. He's giving up too much hard contact ever since he joined the Phillies, and he's not getting a lot of swings and misses with the Phillies. He's getting right around 4.6 to 4.7 strikeouts per nine innings. That's obviously been an issue, and then when you compound that with the fact that he's given up between 3.5 and, and 4 walks per nine innings, it's just not necessarily a recipe for success, but a man that has found that recipe for success, how about Sonny Gray? In the month of August, across six starts, he gave up a grand total of three earned runs. That is absolutely magnificent. This guy has given up more than two earned runs in one start since June 21st, and he hasn't given up more than four earned runs in a start ever since April. He has been just absolutely magnificent of just not getting banged around or anything like that with the Cincinnati Reds. Their bullpen has not necessarily been good recently ever since the All-Star break. They rank in the bottom 10 with regards to bullpen ERA, but one thing that is picking up for this team is the fact that they're getting some mashing ever since the All-Star break. Eugenio Suarez and Aristides Aquino have been one of the top home run combos out there in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break. These two guys have a combined 34 home runs in the case of Aquino, he was able to have 14 home runs in the month of August. That is a new rookie record for the National League. He and Philip Irvin, both hitting right around a 300 apiece. You've also got in the fold of Zay Iglesias, who's hitting just below 300. He got the day off yesterday, but guys that aren't getting the day off are a bunch of guys are in between, I would say, a 260 and a 265, as you also had Suarez out of the fold yesterday, but Josh Van Meter, Joey Votto, along with Suarez, and Freddie Galvez, all in between that 260 and 265 neighborhood. You have a couple guys that 
Well, they do need to be picking it up with the bat as Jose Peraza and Tucker Barnard both hitting in the neighbor of a 235 to a 240. And then you got Brian O'Grady, who's hitting well below the middle's line. The middle's line is 200, by the way. And Alex Blandino is still looking for his first career hit as of the time of this podcast. So obviously that's not redeeming. Meanwhile, for the Philadelphia Phillies, you do have some guys that are doing a good job with their batting average. Corey Dickerson now hitting a 310. You've got JT Riamuto, Gene Segura, Scott Kingery, Cesar Hernandez, only between 8275 and 8287. Got a couple guys that do need to pick it up. Reese Hoskins, Brad Miller, Miguel Franco, all guys are in below a 240, but are hitting above a 230 in that case. Reese Hoskins, 381 on base percentage, but he just hasn't been supplying a lot of power ever since the All-Star break. But a man that has been doing a pretty good job recently is Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper for the year, 30 home runs, 100 RBI. He's hitting right around a 255 to 260. And then you got Logan Morrison being able to give this team some good at-bats. He and Adam Bazzilli hitting between a 255 and a 265. But I do think that this is a spot in which the Philadelphia Phillies are going to be able to maybe plate a run or two, but I just don't see them really getting to Sonny Gray. I think that this is a clear pitching mismatch with regards to the starters, and I think that Gray should be able to come out and dominate. Right now, taking a look at whether to go money line or run line in this spot, because I could see a scenario in which Jason Vargas gives a pretty decent start because the Reds were resting a lot of guys right now, and that is reflected as the Reds are currently about plus 120 on that run line, so in Wayne Simo there, and with regards to this total under, I am currently Wayne Simo trying to see if I'm able to get better juice rather than minus 115 or minus 120, but we are going to be looking at both the under and the Cincinnati Reds in some form or capacity. 953, 954 on the bang rotation. The St. Louis Cardinals play OC San Francisco Giants. Logan Webb goes for the Giants. Meanwhile, Dakota Hudson for the Cardinals. Your total on this game is 8.5. Over just a minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Cardinals, that is anywhere between minus 175 and minus 190. Your plus price here with the Giants is anywhere between plus 160 and plus 170. We've seen it quite a bit from the San Francisco Giants. They're actually a very good team with regards to being able to cover the run line, but there are a lot of games in which they just have not been able to pull out. I believe that they played the most run, they played the most one-run games of any team out there in the big leagues, and in a limited amount of starts, three of them. Logan Webb is actually been pretty good. One and zero record, three fifty-two ARA. This guy had some pretty good minor league stats as well. ERA below four in a PCL league in which the ball just seems to be flying all over the place. He's only given out four walks and two home runs in that time as well. So I do like what I've seen there. And referring to the run line set as an underdog going into Wednesday, sixty-two and forty-nine with regards to getting that plus run and a half. Meanwhile, they also are pretty good on the road. This is a team that entered into Wednesday two games above 500 on the road. Meanwhile, at home, eight games below 500. And to go to Hudson, it's not a guy that you want to be facing off against if you need a win because the team is 15-3 and in his last 18 starts. He did give up four earned runs in his last start against the Cincinnati Reds, but all in all, ever since the beginning of the month of May, he's given up more than three earned runs just twice. There have been a couple starts where he's given up more than three runs, but it's been a lot of the fault of the defense, and this is also a guy that before that start had given up zero earned runs in each of his previous three, so he's been doing a very good job. He has the highest ground ball rate of any starting pitcher out there in baseball with a qualifying market. For the San Francisco Giants, you do have a team that hits much better on the road than they do at home as well. With regards to the San Francisco Giants on the road, they're getting right around 5.3 runs per game at home, more like 3.3 and you now have some guys in the lineup that are finally doing a good job of mashing. The Brandons, Brandon Belden, and Brandon Crawford both hitting right around a 230. That's not necessarily good along with Corbin Joseph, but you do have Kevin Pillar, Evan Longoria, Buster Posey. These guys are in between a 253 and a 265. You also have Mike Ustremski. He's hitting a little bit above a 270. And in the case of Ustremski, 
Kevin Pillar and Evan Longoria, they all have between 18 and 20 home runs. Donovan Solano, whenever he's out there, he's been hitting above a 300 along with Adam Dickerson. He's hitting right around a 290 and Austin Slater is hitting in that realm as well. So these guys are starting to pick it up. Meanwhile, with the St. Louis Cardinals, got a lot of guys that are hitting in the neighborhood of a 275 and a 285 for the team all of a sudden. Colt Wong, Yadio Munoz, Yadier Molina, and Tommy Edmond all in that neighborhood. Now you still have Harrison Bader and Matt Carpenter. They're hitting a 220 or worse, but you also have to like the fact that Paul Goldschmidt, Marcel Ozuna, and Paul DeYoung have been able to supply some power. All these guys have 24 plus home runs, and in the case of Paul Goldschmidt, 255 average, 29 home runs. Paul DeYoung's only hitting a 243, but you've got Ozuna hitting more in the realm of a 262. Dexter Feller's hitting a 250. He's been doing a solid job at the leadoff spot, and both these bullpens have been very good. The Giants, for the year, have a top six bullpen with regards to ERA. Now, I do recognize that they sold off some bullpen pieces at the All-Star break. It's made them a little bit less effective, but you take a look at the Cardinals ever since the All-Star break. Number one bullpen with regards to ERA in the big leagues, and right around 64% of the home games of the St. Louis Cardinals have won under. I do think that that trend continues despite the fact that the Giants are a much better offensive team on the road than they are at home. This is a spot where I'm actually thinking that it could come down to one run and I don't want to be laying that massive money line price on the St. Louis Cardinals. So for that reason, I'm actually going to be looking at the run line plus a run and a half with the Giants because I mentioned how good they were as an underdog of being able to cover that. Right now, I'm seeing that more around a minus 115. We'd like to see if the juice is a little bit more favorable because the Cardinals are seeing a lot of money coming in on them. So we ain't seen there. Meanwhile, with this total, currently looking to see if this is able to get to a nine. If not, I will take the favorable juice on an eight and a half. 955-956 on the bang rotation. It is the Pittsburgh Pirates playing host of Miami Marlins. Eliezer Hernandez goes for the Miami Marlins. Dario Agrazil goes for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Your total on this game is 9.5. Under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even a minus 105. If you're looking at the Pittsburgh Pirates, laying anywhere between minus 151 and minus 160, seeing a 149 pop up there as well. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the plus price of the Miami Marlins, you're going to be getting anywhere between plus 139 and plus 150. And this is a spot where the Marlins just have not been good enough for me to be able to look at them. And Eliezer Hernandez a highly inconsistent pitcher. He's had some great starts, he's had some awful starts, and he's given up a whole lot of home runs along the way. In 70 innings, he's given up 17 home runs. That's more than two home runs per nine innings. 3-5 record, 5.06 ERA. You can just take a look in the month of August. He had three starts in which he gave up four or more earned runs. In the other three starts, he gave up two earned runs or fewer in every last one of them. It all depends on whether he's able to get strikeouts or not because that's really been ranging for him. This is a guy that's also giving up a right around three walks per nine innings. Meanwhile, with Mr. Agrazal, or Agrazal, as some of the people like to call him, I like to call him Dario Agrazal. He has been up and down, to say the least, as well in the month of August. He wound up having starts in which he gave up five, four, three, and zero earned runs in the month of August. So needless to say, a little bit of a roller coaster. And before that, he had actually been nails. He had given up more than three earned runs in just one start prior to the month of August. He's being figured out because he doesn't have swing and miss stuff. Four and a half strikeouts per nine innings. We know with both these teams that... Well, they're not doing a good job with the bullpen. Both of these bullpens rank at the bottom seven in the big leagues with regards to ERA. In the case of the Miami Marlins, they have no power whatsoever. Meanwhile, the Pittsburgh Pirates, their power has been a little bit cold since the All-Star break, but it seems to be picking up, and they do have a lot of guys that are doing a good job of being able to hit for average, as Adam Frazier, Josh Bell, Jose Ozuna, Melky Cabrera, 
are all guys hitting between a 270 and a 280. And in the case of Josh Bell, he's been an RBI machine for this team. He's got over 110 RBI, 35 home runs. You've also got Starling Marte, who was out of the lineup yesterday, but he's part of the 2020 club. He's got over 20 home runs, 20 stolen bases. He's hitting more in the realm of a 295. You then also have Cal Moran who's hitting a 287. Jacob Stallings is hitting right around 265. And then Elias Diaz at the catcher spot, also hitting a 250. So you got a lot of guys doing a good job of getting on base, including Brian Reynolds, 331 batting average. Kevin Newman appears to be out of the fold, but the Miami Marlins are dealing with a big loss themselves. As Brad Anderson, their top home run hitter with 20 home runs, he has been out of the fold for quite a while. So that leads you to having to rely upon some guys that have a batting average below a 200. Austin Dean... Yazan Diaz, Curtis Granderson, Lewis Brinson are all in that neighborhood. You've got Mangirius Sierra. It's going to be interesting to see what he does out there in the outfield spot. He was able to get a hit yesterday. you got Miguel Rojas, though. He's been doing a good job of being able to get on base along with Garrett Cooper and Jorge Alfaro. All these guys are in between a 270 and a 285, but you just take a look at both these lineups being a little bit banged up. I know the bullpens aren't necessarily great, but we've seen some signs of brilliance from both these pitchers as well. I do think that even though Pittsburgh has been the top over team in the big leagues with regards to home games with right around 64% of their home games going over that this total will go under because you've got a Miami Marlins team that's playing over 60% of their road games to the under and I do think that this could be a sneaky spot for Eliezer Hernandez but I do think that the Pirates will be able to generate enough runs. I do think that Agrizel is going to be able to bounce back as well so for that reason look at the Pirates on the run line. I see a run line price of a plus 130 and I'm going to fire in on that. Meanwhile with the under currently Wayne Seymour to try to see if I'm able to get a little bit more favorable juice on a 9 it would probably be a little bit different. That hook really has me on this under. 957-958 on the bang rotation. The Milwaukee Brewers are going to be playing most of these Chicago Cubs. Jose Quintana goes for the Chicago Cubs. Meanwhile Chase Anderson goes for the Brew Crew. If you're looking at the Brewers you're going to be getting a plus price here. That is anywhere between plus 106 and plus 113. If you're looking to lay it with the Cubbies that is anywhere between minus 123 and minus 116. Total on this game is 9.5. Under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even a minus 105. And the Milwaukee Brewers have been a very tough team to be able to figure out recently. They've certainly had their ups and they've had their downs. And they've been playing a whole lot of games to the under so far. They've played each of their last seven games with either a push on the total or an under. So they certainly have been hot there. And whenever these two teams hook up at Wrigley Field, it leads to a lot of unders. In Milwaukee, not so many unders, but at the same time, Unders are still a little bit hot, and with both these pitchers, they have been relatively good. With Jose Quintana, he's had a couple bad starts recently, but all in all, ever since the beginning of the month of June, he's given up more than three earned runs in just two of his, in just three of his starts, and he's been giving up not so many runs in the month of August, as he gave up more than three earned runs just once in those last six starts, so he has been doing a solid job there. He's getting a couple more swings and misses. Meanwhile, with Chase Anderson, he does get taken deep a little bit too much. Right around 1.6, 1.7 home runs per nine innings. It is beneficial that he's facing a Cubs team that ranks in the bottom six in the big leagues with regards to batting average ever since the All-Star break, but for Chase Anderson, he needs to avoid the bad start, as in two out of his last three starts, he's given up five plus earned runs. One of those was on the road against the Chicago Cubs, but prior to that, in the month of July and his first three starts in the month of August, he did not give up more than two earned runs in any of those starts, so he certainly has proven himself to be a little bit solid. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, their bullpen looks to be revamped, and the Cubs have a sneaky good bullpen. It's ranking in the top 10 with regards to ERA, though they get a lot of attention for the blown saves that they've had. They've been a very good group all in all, and you do have a group all in all that even though they're not hitting for the best of average, they do have some guys in the middle of the lineup that are really being able to supply for this team, and 
Nick Castellanos has clearly been a good addition for this team. He's hitting a 346 along with 12 home runs ever since he's been acquired. You've got Kyle Schwarber, who's upping his average with 236. He's been the top power hitter for this team, 33 home runs. You've also then got Anthony Rizzo, the newly back from the injured list, Bolson Contreras as well, along with Chris Bryant and Javi Baez all in the middle of the lineup. They're all in between a 292 and a 279. Wilson Contreras is below 25 home runs, but the rest of these guys, 25 plus stingers. Ben Zobris is out back the full after he was out for so long. He, Alberto Mora Jr., Jason Hayward, Edison Russell, David Bodie, all guys are in between a 234 and a 24- and a 250, but they all have a lot of upside. Ian Happ, only in a 218, you got to think that the team is going to be able to get a little bit more out of him. Daniel Descalso, ceiling below the Mendoza line, but you do have a couple weapons for the Cubs, and then you do have the Famine Bats, and for the Milwaukee Brewers, they just need to get a little bit more production outside of Christian Yelich. We all know what Christian Yelich is able to do. He's got 43 home runs, over 90 RBI, one of the top five base dealers out there in the National League, so all in all, he has been terrific along with his 326 batting average. Then you just got a whole lot of guys airing between a 245 and a 261. Eric Thames, Ben Gamble, Yasmani Grandal, Cody Spangenberg, Hernan Perez. list goes on and on of guys that just have that league average, batting average. Mike Busakis as well. And Mike Busakis has been in and out of the lineup. That's been big because he's provided 31 home runs. Yasmani Grandal's not been able to pound out the long ball like he was at the beginning of the year. Then you got a couple guys in Orlando Arcia, Trent Grisham, Travis Shaw and Manny Pina only below a 235, so they need to pick it up a little bit. But you do have to like the fact that Eric Thames has been able to slice power and Ryan Braun has a batting average right around a 285. But I do think that once again, we're going to see a little bit of a lower scoring game. And I do like the fact that the Brewers at home have been pretty solid against the Chicago Cubs recently. The Cubs have a bad road record. It's been one of those interesting splits. And I will give the Cubs credit. They have won five straight games on the road, but you take a look for the year. They're winning two-thirds of their games at home on the road. It has been a vastly different story as they've got a 28 and 39 road record. Meanwhile, the Brewers at home, 40 and 30, and then there's six games below 500 on the road. And also taking a look at run line price of the Brewers, and also taking a look at the Brewers on the run line as an underdog, 38 and 21. So they've been doing a very good job there. I think the Brewers as an underdog and at home get the job done. I think that Chase Anderson bounces back from that bad start previously. So for that reason, looking at the Brewers plus price and the total under, currently in Wayne C-Mode as I'm seeing a little bit of money pouring in on the Cubs. And this total, I would like to be able to get at more of a minus 110 number. 959-960 on the bang rotation. The Atlanta Braves play also the Washington Nationals. Steven Strasburg goes for the Nets. Max Freed for the Atlanta Braves. Your total on this game is 9. Under Zeus anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even minus 105. If you're looking at the Nationals, you're going to be laying minus 115 across the board. Meanwhile, the plus for the Braves anywhere between even and plus 105. Max Freed has been a lot better recently. And for Steven Strasburg, he got off to a rough start to the month of August, but then he was able to pick up where he left off in the month of July. He's in the month of July. I believe he gave up a grand total of two earned runs. This is a guy in Steven Strasburg that is doing a great job of being able to get swings and misses. Just under 12 strikeouts for Nyan Enix. 16-5 record. 347 ERA, not giving up a lot of home runs, less than one per nine innings. And you take a look at the way that he was able to round out the month of August. He gave up a grand total of two earned runs in his final three starts. That was over the course of 21 innings. Meanwhile, Max Freed, he had a little bit of a rough go of it in the month of June and into, I would say, late July. But in August, this guy was able to really find his stuff as well as he gave up more than three earned runs in just one start in the month of August. And he's actually had a pretty good track record against Washington Nationals as well. But I do think that this is a spot where the Washington Nationals are really starting to heat up with their bats. And I do think that it's so interesting because you've got two guys in the middle of the lineup in Juan Soto and... 
Anthony Rendon that both have 30 plus home runs and they both have an on-base percentage above a 400. You then have Adam Eaton and Trey Turner, which Adam Eaton has been in and out of the lineup. You do want to know that you want to check his status moving forward, but both these guys at the top hitting between a 290 and a 300. As Ruble Cabrera for the year is hitting a 251, but ever since coming over to the Nationals, he's been hitting well above a 300. He's been providing some power. You've got him hitting a 250 for the year along with Victor Robles hitting in that 250 realm. Howie Kendrick has been making some pitching appearances and that's been big because this is a guy that's hitting a 330. And then they've also got a weapon hitting a 364 and Andrew Stevenson. Going to be very interesting to see if he's able to hold up there. Recently got recalled from the minors. Then you do have a couple guys that do need to pick it up with the bat. Gerardo Parra, Jan Gomes, both hitting below a 225. And then you've got Brian Dozier and Matt Adams sitting in that realm of a 235-ish as well. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Atlanta Braves. They've got a little bit of that as well as They've kicked the tires on guys like Billy Hamilton, Atene Echeverria, and Francisco Cervelli, all inning a 230 or lower. But you got to think that at least one of these guys are going to be able to make some contributions. And if they are able to, it's going to make the top of the lineup all the more powerful. As you've got Ronald Acuna Jr., Ozzie Albies, and Matt Joyce hitting between a 280 and a 286. And in the case of Ronald Acuna Jr. at the leadoff spot, this is a man that has provided 36 home runs. And then you can't forget about Freddie Freeman, guy that's hitting at 300 with over 100 RBI, 38 home runs. He's been absolutely magnificent. Josh Donaldson doing a great job with his bat as well. Not looking like the MVP self, but still at 262 with 34 home runs. Still pretty darn good. We've also got Dansby Swanson hitting right around 260. He's back to the full. Charlie Culberson hitting a 265. And then Dre Flowers has been doing a better job recently. He and Rafael Ortega hitting between a 232 and a 240. I do think that this is a spot in which the Atlanta Braves are improving with their bullpen, but I do think that Steven Strasburg is going to be able to do a little bit better than Max Fried, and we all know with the Washington Nationals, you have trepidations with that bullpen, but I do think that Strasburg is going to be able to provide enough innings to help mitigate a little bit of that. Certainly looking at the under in the spot, waiting to see if I'm able to get a little bit more favorable juice there, and I'm going to be looking at the Washington Nationals in this spot as well. I'm currently noticing a little bit of money coming in on the Braves, so I'm in Wayne Seymour there. 961-962 on the batting rotation. You've got the Cleveland Indians playing OC Chicago White Sox. Ronaldo Lopez goes for the White Sox. Meanwhile, for the Cleveland Indians, it's Zach Fleasack. Total of this game of... Ni- Total on this game is 9.5, over and under, both at minus 110. Looking to lay it with the Indians, that's minus 200. Meanwhile, with the White Sox, that is anywhere between plus 180 and plus 190, as I'm seeing a minus 220 pop out there with the Cleveland Indians as well. And certainly, if you like the Indians, you're probably not going to take that 220. And this is a spot where I was talking about with Sean Arnish. We're seeing regression for both these guys. Zach Polisak has a fielding independent above 5, but despite that, just a 361 ERA. He's coming up right around 1.7 home runs per 9 innings. Not necessarily much of a swing and miss guy. Getting fewer than 7 strikeouts per 9 innings, and he really got roughed up in his last outing against the Tampa Bay Rays. He wound up giving up 4 runs on 6 hits and 5 innings, so that was not necessarily great. Meanwhile, with Ronaldo Lopez, he's got an 8-12 record, 541 ERA. He was really doing a great job from late June till, I would say, the middle of August. And then in his last four starts, he's given up five plus in two of them. That was not necessarily good, including his last start, which he recorded two outs and gave up six runs against the Atlanta Braves. Swings and misses are big for this guy. When he's getting six plus swings and misses, it's really going well for him. When he's not, things really start to crater as he's given up right around 1.7 to 1.8 home runs per nine innings. And you're seeing this Cleveland Indians team really start to be able to pound out some offense as well. With the Cleveland Indians, you've got two guys at the top of the lineup in Francisco Lindor and Carlos Santana. They're hitting a 289 or greater. In the case of Lindor, this is a guy that has been able to supply 27 home runs. Carlos Santana, more in the neighborhood of 32 to 33. Got some guys in the outfield hitting well as Oscar Mercado, Jordan Luplo. 
And I know that he's not in the outfield, but Mike Freeman and Tyler Naquin are all in between a 270 and a 285. Jake Powers is back in the fold. He, Roberto Perez, Yu Chang all inning below a 235, but Jake Bowers just being back is a little bit beneficial. Roberto Perez has over 20 home runs. Femio Reyes and Yasiel Puig are both inning between a 250 and a 255. In the case of Puig, he's got 24 home runs. Femio Reyes, 33. He's been a nice pickup at Jason Kipnis in right around 250. Meanwhile, for the White Sox, this is a team that ever since the All-Star break ranks in the bottom five with regards to runs per game, and you got two guys that are just doing absolutely awful. Daniel Polka has one hit on the year. He's hitting a 0-20. That is absolutely insane. Not a 200. That's the Mendoza line. 0-20. Zach Collins hitting a buck 33. Wellington Castillo just above the Mendoza line. But then you do have Yomer Sanchez and Eli Jimenez hitting between a 253 and a 260. Then you've got something with Flores Garcia, James McCann, Jose Abreu. All these guys hitting between a 273 and a 280. And in the case of Jose Abreu, been doing a great job of being able to generate the power. He's got over 100 RBI, 28 home runs. You also have to like the fact that Tim Anderson has an on-base percentage right around a 350. He doesn't walk a lot, but he's hitting nearly a 330 himself. And with the White Sox, I do like the fact that their bullpen has been pretty solid so far this year with the Cleveland Indians. Number one bullpen out there in the big leagues with regards to ERA. It has been waltering a little bit, but I still have a lot of faith in them. I just think that Ronaldo Lopez is going to get roughed up once again. I think that both these guys are going to lend themselves to runs, but I think that Lopez has by far the worst start. So for that reason, looking at the Indians on the run line and the total over with the over, looking to see if I'm able to get a little bit more favorable juice, but certainly would take the minus 110 with the Indians run line. Currently a minus 110. Looking to see if that becomes even if at all possible, but seeing the way that the money's coming in on the Indians, becoming more and more apparent that that's probably not going to be the case. 963-964 on the bang rotation. The Detroit Tigers hit the road to face off against Kansas City Royals. Glenn Sparkman goes for the Royals. Meanwhile, Matthew Boyd for the Detroit Tigers. Total in this game is 9.5. Over to under both at minus 110 if you're looking at the Detroit Tigers. Laying anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Meanwhile, if you're wanting to take a shot here on the Kansas City Royals, that's anywhere between even and plus 110. I noted it with Glenn Sparkman. This is a guy that at home, ERA is hovering right around a 4. He's been not so great in his last couple starts at home, but all in all, this is still a much better pitcher in the city of Kansas City rather than on the road and he gets the luxury of facing off against a team that is about as offensive as Ned Flanders with the Detroit Tigers. Bottom three in the big leagues with regards to runs per game, home runs per game, and Glenn Sparkman has certainly been giving up the home runs. He's giving up more than two home runs per nine innings, and you take a look at Sparkman in his last two starts at home. He's given up a combined 10 earned runs over four and a third innings, so clearly things are not going well there, and in a start to round out the month of July, he also gave up eight runs in a start at home as well. Meanwhile, with Matthew Boyd, this is a guy with a ERA ever since the beginning of June, right around six. He's given up 2.8 home runs per nine innings. The team is 3-13 and in his last 16 starts. This is a good old scenario of something's got to give. As for the Kansas City Royals, you've got a lineup that is very top-heavy. We were noting it with Sean Hardish, Whit Merrifield, doing a great job of being able to get on base. His batting average is hovering right around a 300. You also have Adalberto Mondesi. He's one of the top eight heroes out there in the big leagues. He and Hunter Dozier in between a 270 and a 280. Jorge Soler, Alex Gordon, two guys in between a 250 and a 260 themselves. And in the case of Soler, 39 home runs. Whenever you have Chesler Cuthbert out there, he's been hitting right around a 245. And then you also do have Ryan McBroom, who's hitting a 250. That's been nice. And my Breeze Valoria is also hitting a 244. Nicky Lopez has been okay. But then you got Ryan O'Hearn, Brett Phillips, 
Lucas Judah, and guys of this ilk. They're hitting below the Mendoza line. It's really been hurting them. Meanwhile, the Detroit Tigers, you are starting to get some guys with a good batting average. Victor Reyes hitting above a 300 has been very nice for this team. Miguel Cabrera and Eric Castro are both hitting between a 280 and a 285. You've got Darwell Lugo, Christian Stewart, Travis Demright, and whatever he's out there as he's been injured for quite a while. Nico Goodrum hitting between a 236 and a 250. But then you do have some guys that are just absolutely awful. Jake Rogers, Jaimir Candelario, Grayson Griner, Willie Castro, Gordon Beckham, all these guys hitting a 225 or lower. So that is certainly leaving a whole lot to be desired. And in one of these scenarios, I do think that it is a spot where I do have to take the better pitching in general. I like the Detroit Tigers in the way that their bullpen has pitched a little bit more than that of the Kansas City Royals. And I certainly do think that Matthew Boyd has a lot more talent and does a better job of being swings and misses than Glenn Sparkman. So for that reason, we are going to be looking at the Detroit Tigers and this total under with the Detroit Tigers are already locked in this price. Meanwhile, with this under, it started out at 10. It is now down to 9.5. Going to try to see if there's a little bit of buyback on the over before locking it in. We now move on to a pair of games that are off the board, starting with 965, 966 on the bank rotation. For the LA Angels, they are on the road against the Oakland A's, as it is Jose Suarez going for the Angels. It was supposed to be... Chris Bassett going for the Oakland A's. It is now going to be Brett Anderson, which is why this game is off the board. And for Brett Anderson, this is a guy that doesn't do a whole lot great. He doesn't get a whole lot of swings and misses, but what this guy does a very good job of is just being able to slow down and keep games out in front of him, which is what you've got to like. This is a day game out there in Oakland, so you want to note that the Marine layer is not going to be out, and that is not good news for Jose Suarez, as Mr. Suarez, 2-5 record, 671 ERA. He has not made it past five innings in a start ever since the beginning of the month of June, and he's allowed more than three earned, he has allowed three earned runs or more in all but one of his starts ever since July 7th. This is just absolutely atrocious. He's backed up by a bullpen that was fifth worst in the big leagues with regards to ERA. Meanwhile, with the Oakland A's, their bullpen has been a little bit shaky recently as well, but we also know this about the Oakland A's. They mash left-handed pitching, and you know what Jose Suarez is? You guessed it, a lefty. And with the Oakland A's, you do have a pair of guys in Matt Olson and Matt Chapman with a combined 59 home runs. Chapman's hitting a 258, Matt Olson a 270. As you got Mark Anna and Marcus Simeon both in between a 270 and a 275. These two guys have a combined 48 home runs themselves, so they've been solid there. The Oakland A's aren't going to steal any bases on you, and they do have a couple guys that do need to pick it up with their batting average. Sam Noyce, Jerickson Profar, Chris Davis, Chris Herman, all in below a 225, and then you've got Jay Pinner inning a 237, but you do have a lot of redeeming qualities with Jeff Feigley inning a 250, and for the LA Angels, you do have a couple guys who are doing a great job of being able to get on base. We all know about Mike Trout, 44 home runs, 293 average. He's hitting for 102 RBI as well. Then you got Daniel Fletcher, Brian Goodwin, Shoya Otani, all hitting between a 285 and a 295 Albert Albert Pujols has picked it up with his average, hitting a little bit above a 250, 21 home runs. Cole Calhoun was out of the lineup yesterday, but he's got 28 dingers. His average hovering right around a 240, but then you've got some guys that they really need to pick it up with their bat, as Wilfredo Tovar, Max Tassi, Anthony Benboom, Matt Theus, Justin Upton. All guys are in a 220 or lower. Justin Bohr is back in the fold. He's also in that mix. And Dalton Simmons is hitting a 270, but ever since coming off the injured list, he hasn't necessarily been great himself. This is a spot where I do think that the Oakland A's are going to be able to get another nice start for Brett Anderson, which goes like six innings, giving up two or three earned runs. That's been his MO recently, and I think that Suarez gets pounded. I think the bullpen gets pounded. I was seeing this total a little bit earlier, hovering right around 10. If we're going to be presenting with a 10 and the Oakland A's on the run line, hovering right around a minus 
minus 115-ish. Would certainly be looking at both of those. Check back in the morning at GNR. Scorty one for set plays there, but certainly looking at the A's on the run line and this total over. 967-968 is next on the rotation as you've got the Baltimore Orioles playing also Texas Rangers. Kobe Allard goes for the Rangers. Jonathan Means for the Baltimore Orioles. Not sure which team it was that didn't announce their starter until late, but for that reason, this game is presently off the board. And I will say that Jonathan Means has been a little bit of an adventure recently as it actually was the Baltimore Orioles. As I'm taking a look on ESPN as they are currently listing Dylan Bundy as a starter and that is not going to be the case. But for Jonathan Means... He certainly had some post-All-Star break struggles, but it looks like he has finally found himself once again. In his last three starts, he's given up a combined five earned runs over the course of 19 innings, all of which have been decisions that he's taken, two wins, one loss, and that came against the Kansas City Royals. So all in all, he's been doing a pretty solid job there. And then with the bullpen of the Baltimore Orioles, we all know how putrid it is, but the Texas Rangers have been expending a lot of their bullpen as well. They've been using a lot of wholesale approaches the last couple days, so it is a relief that Kobe Allard is going to be going out there because he's given at least five innings in each of his last four starts. And I will say that the starts have been up and down. In those four starts, he gave up three earned runs or more in two of them. In the other two, he wound up going a combined 12 innings, giving up two runs to the White Sox and the Seattle Mariners in recent form. He's actually looked pretty darn good. And what you also like about Allard is that he's not giving up home runs. He's given up three walks per nine innings, but in regards to home runs, one in 27 innings. That is very spectacular. As for the Texas Rangers, this has been one of the top under teams out there in the big leagues ever since the beginning of the month of August. I believe they have played eight overs since the beginning of the month of August. They just certainly have not been supplying the power as right now their best power hitter is Danny Santana. Danny Santana has been hitting a 285 for this team. And then you've got Elvis Andrus, Willie Calhoun, Shinju Chu and Noah Mazzara all in between a 260 and a 275. In the case of Shinju Chu and Noah Mazzara, they're both hitting between 18 and 21 home runs, but they're just not supplying a lot of power right now. And they've got a lot of guys that they do need to be picking it up with their bat in regards to average. Ronald Guzman, Jeff Mathis, Tim Fedorowicz, Steve Eidemann, Rudnad Odor, all hitting below a 210 for this lineup. I will say for Odor, he's got 20 plus home runs, but recently has been in just a massive slide. And that makes it really tough to be able to take the Texas Rangers in the spot with the way that Dylan Bundy is pitching. And he's actually backed up by a lineup that I'm not going to call it great. But at the same time, even though the last couple games in their series against the Tampa Bay Rays went under, has been supplying a lot of power recently. Renato Nunez and Trey Bumo Mancini have both been providing some home runs with Nunez, 28 home runs, sitting at 250. And then you've got in the case of Trey Mancini at right around a 275 batting average with 29 home runs. Then you got Jonathan VR and Anthony Santander hitting between a 280 and a 292. Got quite a few guys hitting in that 235-ish realm in Rio Ruiz, Austin Wins, and Dwight Smith Jr. You've also got a lot of famine bats as well. Chris Davis, Chance Sisko, Richie Martin, Stevie Wilkerson. All these guys are hitting a 220 or lower. I will say that Pedro Severino being off the injured list is big. He's hitting right around a 255 at a three-home run game earlier this year. And I do think that this is a spot in which we're going to see some very good pitching, but I do give a little bit of an edge to Jonathan Means and the Texas Rangers just not hitting at this point. I think we're going to see probably like a 10 total. Certainly would be taking a look at it under and would be looking at the Baltimore Orioles here. But as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at January Squirty1 for set plays there. We move on to 969-970 on the bank rotation. The Tampa Bay Rays are going to be playing also the Toronto Blue Jays. Trent Thornton goes for the Jays. Meanwhile, for the Rays, it is Austin Pruitt. Your total on this game is 9. Over Zeus of minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Blue Jays, anywhere between plus 190 and plus 210 is what you're getting. Meanwhile, if you want to lay it here with the Tampa Bay Rays, it's anywhere between minus 220 and minus 240. Austin Pruitt, in his last bulk appearance, looked very, very good. He's been 
in and out between bulk appearances and being used as an opener for. It's one of those interesting ordeals, but in his last outing, he wound up giving up zero earned runs in over five innings. He just has some blow-up starts sometimes as the start before that against the Baltimore Orioles gave up six runs in five and two-thirds innings. He really doesn't give you more than five innings, and ever since the month of July, he's only made five starts slash bulk appearances, so he's been in and out a little bit, so it does make things very intriguing. Meanwhile, the Toronto Blue Jays, Trent Thornton has been very up and down himself. He's provided some very good starts, especially against the Houston Astros. Not sure how, and I'm not sure why, but in two starts against the Houston Astros. He's went a combined 11 innings, giving up three earned runs, and in his last four starts, he's given up fewer than four earned runs in all of them, and he's given up more than three earned runs really in one start ever since the month of August. So he actually does seem to be rounding in a form. He's got some decent swing and miss stuff. He also does give up right around 1.8 home runs per nine innings. That has to be a little bit of a concern, but for the Tampa Bay Rays, you don't necessarily have that one guy that you look at as being a total masher. I will say that Austin Meadows has been doing a very good job of being able to supply some power. This is a guy that's hitting for the year a 280 with 26 home runs, and then you've got Tommy Pham also hitting a 280. Avisail Garcia, a 270. In the case of Pham, he's got 20 home runs. Avisail Garcia, 17 of them. Then you got a lot of guys that are in between a 260 and a 240. Kevin Kiermeyer, William Damas, Travis Arno, along with G Man Choi, all in that realm. And I will say for Travis Arno, actually now hitting a 266, that snuck up on me as Eric Sogard hitting nearly a 300 himself. So you do have some decent bats for the Tampa Bay Rays, but then you got Guillermo Radio, Mike Zanino, Joey Wendell, all guys hitting below a 225. Then you take a look at the flip side for the Toronto Blue Jays. I noted it with Sean Harnish. They've got one guy in the lineup right now that's sitting above a 300. That would be Boba Shedd, and he's been absolutely magnificent. He's sitting right around a 325, pounding out a lot of home runs. And then other than that, Vlad Guerrero Jr. is the only guy that's really hitting above a 232 that makes normal starts for the team. Reese McGuire at the catcher spot has been decent. He's hitting a 280, but it's not a normal starter every day. But you are getting some power out of a lot of these guys. Randall Gritchick, 24 home runs. Justin Spoke, 20-plus home runs. Teoscar Hernandez, 20 home runs. Rowdy Telez right around 16 to 17 home runs. So they've been getting a lot of power there. And they are a young, scrappy team. And I do think that Trent Thornton could be able to continue to give some good starts for this team. Meanwhile, with Bruett, you just don't know what you're going to get start for start from him. And I just can't lay this big of a price with the Tampa Bay Rays in this spot. And the Tampa Bay Rays have actually been significantly worse at home than they have been on the road. The Tampa Bay Rays at home so far this year have posted a record of 39 and 32. Meanwhile, on the road, this is a team that has went 43 and 20. And the Toronto Blue Jays are pretty comparable home to road and have been above 500 with regards to run line performance on the road. So for that reason, going to be taking the plus price here of the Toronto Blue Jays and this total over. With the over, certainly don't want to be laying this high of juice. And with the Blue Jays, noticing a lot of money coming in on the Tampa Bay Rays. So we are in Wayne C mode on both of these as we move on to 971-972 on the bank rotation. The Boston Red Sox play also the Minnesota Twins. Martin Perez goes for the Minnesota Twins. Nathan Eovaldi for the Boston Red Sox. Total on this game is 12. The over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Juice on the under, anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the Boston Red Sox, going to be laying anywhere between minus 145 and minus 150. Plus price here on the Twins, anywhere between plus 131 and plus 140. Martin Perez is a very interesting puzzle to figure out. In his three starts previous to his last one against the Detroit Tigers, he had given up two earned runs or fewer in each of them, and then he winds up getting just absolutely exploded upon by the Detroit Tigers being the victim of a seven-run third inning by them. I mean, to give up seven runs in an inning to the Detroit Tigers is absolutely inexcusable. For the year, he's 9-6, 489 ERA. It's been one of those things where it's been trial by fire. As in the month of August, he had three starts in which he gave up two earned runs or fewer. In all the other three, he gave up five plus earned runs. So 
It's one of these things where you're either going to get good Martin Perez or you're going to get absolutely awful Martin Perez. You're not going to get anything in between. Meanwhile, Nathan Eovaldi. Guy's just not giving a whole lot of length right now. I don't know what to expect other than a bullpen game whenever Nathan Eovaldi takes him out because in every one of his appearances in the month of August, he went four innings or fewer. I will say maybe they're ramping him up as in each of his last four appearances, he went two innings, two innings, three innings, and then four innings in his last one. So I do find that to be interesting. And he did get eight strikeouts in his last appearance of four innings. But for the Minnesota Twins, this is a team that is getting a whole lot of power. They have the major league record for most home runs in a year. And even though Nelson Cruz is really a power hitter. He's got over 35 home runs. He's also hitting above a 300. Jorge Polanco hitting a 300 as well. Max Kepler is right around 35 home runs. He's hitting a 255. Jake Cave and CJ Crone hitting in that neighborhood as well. Along with Jonathan Scope. All three of these guys in between a 258 and 261. Williams Astadio is a very versatile player that's hitting a 270. Miguel Sano is getting a home run every 12 at-bats. Eddie Rosario does a little bit of everything. 282 batting average, 27 home runs, 92 RBI. So you've got so many weapons for the Minnesota Twins, but don't sell the Boston Red Sox short. They have been one of the top teams with regards to the over at home this so far this year. And for the Boston Red Sox, you've got Mookie Betts, Andrew Benatendi, both hitting between a 282 and a 287. But the headliners are the middle of the lineup. Xander Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, Rafael Devers. Only between a 310 and a 320. All these guys, 27 plus home runs. And the leader in that regard, J.D. Martinez. He's got 34 of them. Rafael Devers, 29 of them is the bottom guy. Then you got Bar- and then you got Brockholt and Marco Hernandez, both hitting above a 315. Mitch Marlins is coming off the injured list. has been pretty decent. Only hitting a 240, but he's certainly improved. Jackie Bradley Jr. and Sandy Leon need to pick up their batting averages, but Christian Vasquez hitting a 275. And I'll note it again, Boston Red Sox in the month of August. Second best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. Meanwhile, the Minnesota Twins have been vastly improved themselves. So for that reason, I'm going to be looking at the total under. I just don't know what we're going to get out of Nathan Eovaldi. He has certainly been getting shelled with an ERA above six. I do think that Martin Perez is actually going to be able to turn a good start here. So I'm going to be going with the Minnesota Twins who entered into Wednesday, the most profitable team out there in the big leagues with regards to making you money on the road and have a road record currently of 47 and 23 pending Wednesday's results. So for that reason, going to be looking at the Twins with the plus price and this total under currently in Wayne C mode on both of these trying to get more favorable numbers as money's moving to the other sides of what I like. And we wrap things up with 973 and 974 on the bank rotation. The Houston Astros play the Seattle Mariners. Marco Gonzalez goes for the Seattle Mariners. Wade Miley makes the climb to the mound and hopes to Go through the Seattle Mariners lineup like a wrecking ball as this total on this game is 9.5. Under is just a minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you like the Astros, laying anywhere between minus 260 and minus 280, your pulse price here on the Seattle Mariners, anywhere between plus 220 and plus 230. And I will say that even though the Houston Astros just absolutely rake left-handed pitchers, Marco Gonzalez has an ERA hovering right around 5 against the Houston Astros. I know that that doesn't sound Overly impressive, but he's certainly done a decent job against the Houston Astros. 14 and 11 record. He's got an ERA of a 430, giving up right around one home run per nine innings. Not necessarily going to give you tremendous swing and miss stuff as he's getting right around seven strikeouts per nine innings, but he's done a great job of being able to keep games out in front of him. In August, he wound up giving up more than four earned runs in just one of his starts. Does a good job of being able to limit a lot of the damage. He also does a good job of not walking a lot of guys. Meanwhile, Wade Miley is giving out right around three walks per nine innings, and he's been an escape artist. His fielding independent, more than a full point higher than his ERA. Gotta think that regression is going to set in for him as he hasn't allowed more than three earned runs in any of his starts really ever since June 22nd, and that start he gave up four runs. He hasn't given up more than four earned runs in a start really all year long, and I'm questioning how or why. He's been very lucky in that regard. And then with the Seattle Mariners, the lineup is not necessarily full of mashers. you got a lot of guys that 
Well, quite frankly, they do need to be picking it up with their average as Keon Broxton, Jake Fraley, Ryan Court, Mac Williamson, Shed Long, Ben Bishop, Daniel Vogelback. All guys are hitting a 225 or lower, so they are leaving a whole lot to be desired. But Kyle Seeger has been absolutely tremendous ever since the beginning of the month of August. He's up to his batting average to a 250. He's got right around like 13 home runs over his last 25 games. He's been great. Thomas Murphy and Omar Nevaez both hitting between a 275 and a 285. And then G. Gordon's hitting a 279 as well. But for the two catchers, they've got a combined 35 plus home runs. Austin Nola's seeing a dip in his average. He's now hitting a 270. But Malik Smith is leading the league with regards to stolen bases, hitting a 240 himself. Dylan Moore is also a guy that's not giving you a whole lot on offense. He's hitting a 220, but this is a team that does have Daniel Vogelback, a 29 home run hitter. He's been able to do a good job of supplying some power. And with the Houston Astros, they've got a lineup that specializes in supplying power. Alex Bregman has 33 home runs for the team. Jordan Alvarez going deep for, for a home run every 12 or so at bats. With Bregman, he's hitting just below a 300. Jordan Alvarez hitting above a 300. You've got Yuri Gurriel hitting above a 300 himself. George Springer's hitting a 297. And Jose Altuve hitting above a 325 home runs for him. George Springer has 30 home runs. You've got Michael Brantley hitting a 325. You got a couple guys at the catcher spot in Martin Baldonado and Robinson Torinos. I need to pick it up, but Torinos certainly has been doing a better job recently. You just have a lineup that is full of mashers, so I do think that runs are going to be a plenty, which is why I'm going to be looking at this total over with the juice. I'm looking to see if this goes down to a 9. If not, I'll take an unjuiced 9.5 any day, but I do think that the Seattle Mariners are going to be able to get to Wade Miley. I think that Miley is do in for some regression. I think it comes right here against the Seattle Mariners as I think that they're going to take him deep a couple times. So for that reason, going to ride with the Seattle Mariners in the spot in Wayne Seamount on both of these as that will do it for the Thursday edition of MLB Overtime Betting. We'd like to thank our guest, Sean Harnish, professional handicapper for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Ever have a question for the podcast, feel free to tweet in at GNRS41. Let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. We'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.